Joseph took his wife and her child, and they went to Africa to escape the rage of a deadly king. There along the banks of the Nile, Jesus listened to the song that the captive children used to sing. They were singing. Through a dry and thirsty land, waters from the Kenyan Heights pours itself out of Lake Sanger's broken heart. In the Sahara winds, Jesus heard the whole world cry for the healing that would flow from his own scars. The world was singing. prophecy, didn't they? They were waiting for their Messiah to come, expectant and ready. And it is in this same tone that they welcomed their king. They hailed their king on that Palm Sunday. And they cried out as they laid their cloaks on the ground. They cried out to their king, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. We get to praise his name this morning, knowing what was to come. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet, church? We're going to sing praise to our Lord this morning. And uh, before we sing, would you just open your hands, welcome him into this place, and in your own way, let him know that you have acknowledged his presence. We're going to sing praise is rising. Praise is rising.
just give a, a hand raise? If you have been blessed by our children this morning, wow, wow. I, I just, I have a feeling that this is his way. His way includes the little children. He said, let the little children come to me and what a joy it's been to have them in here, if even for a brief moment this morning. We're gonna continue singing, church, but before we do that, would you take just a couple of seconds and find somebody that you haven't talked to yet this morning and tell them, hey, I love you and God loves you. Give them a handshake or a holy high five. We'll sing in a minute.
Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Alpha, Omega, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Savior of the world, Messiah. So many, so many names we can say to worship you and express to you how good you are to us and how holy you are. Oh God, we magnify your name this morning. We make you great. Put you in the center, center of our lives and our church. God is the cornerstone. May everything that is done here and now be built on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. God, as we've gathered, some of us have brought burdens unexplainable. God, your closeness is a promise. Lord, you tell us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. That's a promise. And I just pray on behalf of, of every burden represented in this place, God. And I ask that your nearness would be felt. And God, for or whatever other troubles or that have gone on in the lives of your people, Lord, would you just lead us? Would you guide us? Would you show us more of who you are this morning because we've met, because we've gathered, because we've come with open hearts and open minds to hear what you want to say to us? Help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to focus. Help us to hear. Help us to obey. And we love you. We love you. And we want our lives to show that. It's in your son, Jesus Christ, precious in the holy name that we pray these things. Amen. Beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord and great time in the life of the church. We have a lot of exciting things coming up, as hopefully you're aware, things to look forward to. And this Thursday is what's typically known as Monday Thursday. We'll be gathering here at the church to recognize, as Jesus did so many years ago at the Last Supper, gather with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, where they experienced the, 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 the sharing of the cups that we've been talking about these last several weeks. We want to invite you to join us this Thursday night at 630 as we will kind of walk through this Passover meal experience, talking a little bit about what each cup means and how why it was significant to uh, Jesus in his um, ministry and his life here while he was here on earth. And while it still matters for us even yet today, we hope that you will plan to be a part of that experience at that time where we'll then transition from the four cups to the one cup that he asks us to, to take and to remember. This time of remembrance, this time of communion. And we're, we're looking forward to just sharing that time together. And we hope that you will join us. Also in the life of the church this month are, are some other exciting things we want to share with you. April 29th, we'll be having kids' night out or, or parents' night off, depending on your perspective. And that'll go from 4 to 8 p.m. be here at the church. It's something we've done a few times before. We opened it up to the community. It's kind of a VBS-style uh, one-night focus emphasis. And we've already seen a strong response from our community, uh, from those that have come before. So uh, we're looking forward to continuing to make an impact in the lives that God would send to us. So there's some ways that you can get involved with that. One, you can register your children if you haven't already done so. You can also donate supplies. Uh, there's a list of those on our Facebook page and online. And you can also volunteer to serve. Uh, to, if parents are to truly have the night out or the night off, uh, we need some others to perhaps step up for that afternoon or that evening to, to get involved and to serve. Uh, the, the ministry is, is for our children specifically, but it's also to the parents of those children, just to kind of give them a break. And after yesterday, I could really use a break, right, Amy? So uh, spring break has started at home, and I'm ready for them to go back to school. But uh, that's another conversation for another day. And also, obviously, next Sunday, uh, April 9th, is Easter Sunday, and we hope that you will plan to join us. Uh, we will have, have a light breakfast in between services at the well, so we're, we're expecting quite a crowd and a log jam out there. We've already told the pastor to kind of keep a little bit shorter, so we'll give us some time to fellowship. We'll see if he complies or not, but hopefully they do, he will. And what a great opportunity to invite someone 
that perhaps God's put upon your heart to come to church. That, that's a great time. It, it's, it's just an opportunity for us to celebrate, for us to share with others what we're all about, why we gather every Sunday. It's because of the truth that we get to experience and share together on Easter. So we look forward to the gathering with you next week and all that God's going to continue to do in and through us uh, during this beautiful season, uh, this, this holy season in the life of the church. We've been talking about the four cups of Passover. We read about them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and, and each of these cups that we are, are studying or are a part of, of, of the Passover experience, the Passover Seder, each of them also speak to a promise that God made to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 6, promises that we are still seeing come true and are true in our lives even yet today. We began with the very first cup, the cup of sanctification or the cup of salvation, where God says, I will bring you out from under the yoke. I will bring you out from under that which keeps you bound, under that which keeps you as a slave. And for us, that thing is sin. Sin keeps us bound. It keeps us separated from God. And as God promised the Egyptians to bring them out of that land from under that yoke, God brings us out. He gives us salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a fulfilled promise that we are still experiencing yet today. Then God shared this, this second promise, and we recognize the second promise in the second couple we talked about last week. Sometimes God begins, or he always begins, with bringing the sin out of us. But then there's always that thing in us that remains, that kind of that residual, that, that desire, that human nature that continues to long for the, the comforts, if you will, the things that we like or the habits of our lives. When things don't go quite so well, where life gets heavy and tough, we tend to revert back or lean back into those things that which we know, even if those things keep us bound. So not only does God have to take the sin out of us, but he also has to take um, gets the Egypt out of us. He forgives us of our sins, but to get rid of that longing, he also has to then take those longings out of us as well. So we don't continue to want to go back to continue to go back to those things which keep us bound. And for many of us, we can resonate with that idea. It's beautiful to have our sins forgiven. But boy, do we get to that place when we recognize that salvation and leads to this next step. And when our tradition, we call this sanctification, where God then takes this Egypt out of us and allows us then to live the life that he has called us to live and created us to live. It's a beautiful experience in life of the church. We can believe these things that God promises. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, through these he has given us very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate. This is what we're created for, what we're invited to engage in. We may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God offers us an escape. He gives us an invitation. We're all on a spiritual journey, whether we recognize it or not. We are all people, a body, mind, and spirit. And we progress and we move and we climb. Sometimes we, we, we crawl through life. But all the way we're growing and we're learning of and hopefully embracing the promises of God. Our failure to believe or to accept the promises of God does not change the truth of who God is or what he says he will do. The promises of God are found in his word and whether or not you participate or, or choose to believe them doesn't impact the promises. Another beautiful thing about them is God remains constant. To discover his promises, we dig into his word. Today we're going to go back where we began in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Where God, through Moses, uh, had this conversation. He says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. These four promises are the four I wills that God gives to us. I'll bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you. And I will be, God says, I will take you and I will be your God. That, that should be a comforting thought to us. But for some, we recognize that may not be a comforting thought. Depending on how we receive that promise, the good indication of where we might be in our spiritual journey. The good indication of what cup we might be faced with, even yet this morning. Because before us today is a cup. It might be cup one, if you have yet to begin your walk with God, or there's sin in your life separating you from him. It could be cup two. 
Perhaps you've taken that first step and asked God for forgiveness, but, but you still struggle with that sinful nature, that Egypt that's still inside of you and you're faced with cup two. We, we've, we've recognized and we've talked about how over 80% of Christians get stuck between cup one and cup two. They never get to the place where they're wanting God and asking God to take the Egypt out of them. We see it in our world every day. But if you get past that point, we get to cup three. We'll talk about cup three this morning and into next week as well. Finally, cup four, we learn what it truly means to praise God with all that we are and for all that he's done. We're faced with a cup this morning. Which one do you have before you? These first three promises, the first three I wills, they're individual. But then the fourth promise becomes a corporate promise, and we're going to experience that corporate promise after Easter and celebrate that in a very profound and powerful way. I've been praying and asking God for guidance and for the right voices, and I'm looking forward to that time we get to experience that together. See, it's not until we drink the fourth cup that we find fulfillment, wholeness. We don't find it on our own, partially on our own, but in its completeness, it's found in the midst of community. That's what's so beautiful about coming together every week to worship. That's where we begin to take this step towards wholeness, completeness, recognizing who it is that God wants us to be. What cup you, whatever cup you may have before you, recognize that God's asking questions. For each cup, we're instructed to take and to drink, not simply to hold it, not to put it in the refrigerator, and not to wait until we want to. It's an invitation. And I pray today that as, as God speaks to you, you'll be willing to take a drink, to remember, and celebrate. Now the third cup, let's talk a little bit more about that this morning. This is a beautiful cup. And, and it's pretty powerful and profound when it, when it comes to the, this, this week, this holy week. This cup is a main character through, through our story this week. So I might leave some things unanswered for you this morning. And that's okay, because I want you to come back Thursday to get another part of the answer. Then I want you to come back next Sunday to get the rest of the story, because this third cup is so critically important. Not in only understanding what it is that God has done or why Jesus came, but understanding how it impacts us and the difference that it makes in our lives. That third promise God makes, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you. An interesting word, redeem, redemption. There's this cup of redemption that's before us. What does it mean to redeem? Now, there was a, a time not too long ago uh, within, um, within my shopping life, I guess I should say, where coupons were a pretty big deal. Anybody here made, made big couponers? I, I mean big couponers. Like you, you, have, you would go to the store and you'd be one of those people that there would be like television shows about. You'd walk out with a grocery cart full of stuff for like, $7.15, or maybe the store would give you money back if, if you were really good. But there was the idea about couponing. You even go way back even before that to, um, um, you, you get the, the stamps at your store. We kind of like, instead of Kroger points and fuel points, there used to be these little books of stamps. You remember those? And we have them in your, in your drawer. You kind of shove them in there. They might still be there if you have a junk drawer like I do. But there were always ways to get you to come, kind of an enticement to get you to participate, to come and shop. We love getting good coupons. I used to buy the, the Thursday paper, because that's when uh, some of the coupons would, that's when the sales would be announced, and then Sunday the paper, some of the coupons would come. You always have to go and get your Thursday and your Sunday paper so you know when to, to shop. And who doesn't like a good buy one, get one free? Who doesn't like a, a good, hey, if you just buy a Coke, you'll get a free French fry? You, they even do it every time you go to McDonald's. It's on your receipt. Just fill out, how, how did we do today? We'll give you a free quarter pounder. If you, if you buy one, we'll give you a free one, which means it's not really free, okay? So you're having to pay a little bit in order to get the free one. We love this idea of couponing, of, of getting something back or of getting a discount. But to go a little bit further of what it means to redeem, we have to understand that coupon's only valuable if you take it to the store and use it. Oh, I've had so many good coupons in my life sit in our envelope or our drawer or on the counter, unused or expired. You ever go to the store and use a coupon that's expired? Oh, that's so frustrating. You think you're getting a great deal and you look at the date and it's not any good. Now, the really good stores will still honor it anyway, but they don't have to. Coupon's only valuable if it's used, if it's redeemed, if it's turned in. It only has value if it's utilized at the store. 
redemption. It, it, it means that at its core to buy back. So to redeem something is to buy back. So when you have a coupon, to use that coupon, the store is actually buying back, or the manufacturer is buying back part of the cost of that. They're, they're kind of eating that cost or eating that profit to get you to participate or to want to purchase their product. To redeem also means to repurchase. Not purchase the first time, but to repurchase. They're, they're, they're repurchasing that which is already theirs. They're putting on the store shelves for you to come and buy. They're repurchasing a portion of that themselves and letting you have it for free. So this idea of redeeming and redemption, we understand it from the context of shopping. But now let's apply it to the spiritual context. Where God says, I will redeem you. See, God, our creator, decided to go our own way. When we decided to go our own way, God realizes that, hmm, that's not what I created them for. And he decides he has to kind of step in to, to, to help us out. See, we sell ourselves to something else. Every day we sell ourselves to something. It's either to God or to the things of this world. We sell ourselves every day. And if it's not of God, then it grieves God's heart. If we sell ourselves to something not of God, God, our creator, sees that we're not where we should be. He steps in and he buys us back. He repurchases us. He redeems us. And church, that is good news. That's Easter news. That's what Easter's all about. God sent Jesus to pay our debt, to repurchase us. Scripture tells us, I will redeem you with what? An outstretched arm. And when we see in Exodus chapter 6, this prophecy of what God is truly going to do, we see in the Old Testament, this outstretched arm looks different. In the New Testament, it looks like this, where Jesus comes with outstretched arm and buys us back pays our debt we are redeemed you can read about it in matthew chapter one if you need more details of what it is that jesus christ came and did for us now redeem also means to change for the better to reform uh, too many of us have set life expectations and life goals and we've just set them to be honest we've just set them too low we just want to avoid the bad well we, we want to settle for the good not realizing all along that God has better and best in mind for us. So to change for the better, not just to change, but God has in mind for us something better and best. So when we are redeemed, we get to experience that better and best through Him. You've settled for just getting by in life, just avoiding the bad, and you're missing out on what it means to be redeemed and being repurchased by the Son of God. The third meaning of redeem means to repair or to restore. That's why this cup is also called the cup of restoration, known as the cup of redemption, but also the cup of restoration. God goes and gets what is broken, torn, dirty, rusty, and he makes it new. New upholstery, new paint, new parts. It's not just about fixing, though. It's about repairing so that it can fulfill its purpose. It's about restoring it to its original design. God redeems, and in the redemption process, he restores us. I had a friend, I still have a friend, many years ago, who liked to restore old cars. And he had a 1946 Chevrolet truck. And it took five years for, for him to restore this truck. And, and on this truck, there were some parts that were new, there were some parts that were old. But he brought them together to perform and per fulfill the same purpose. But he changed the truck in, in his mind and in my mind, and all those would see it, for the better. He put a more fuel-efficient engine in it than what was originally made. It went into the truck in 1946. He put a better transmission in it. It was restored to its form, its original form, and the money that he put into it, well, it cost much higher than the original. That's what God did for us. The price that Jesus paid to restore, to redeem us, <laughs> much higher cost he paid much more than probably what we think many times that we're worth. But in God's eyes, it was a bargain. He loved this truck that my friend, he had restored. Then he did something funny. He sold it. He figured it was time for something new. He didn't just settle. He kind of kept at it. And that's what God does. He keeps at it. He gets one done and he moves to the next. He doesn't just discard you. He doesn't just get rid of you. But my friend went and bought a 1955 Chrysler Windsor Deluxe. And he spent years remodeling and re-chroming and repainting and, and refurbishing 
of this car that he affectionately now calls Bluebell. Drives it around for ice cream on Sunday afternoons. This restoration process. While he enjoys driving along in Bluebell, he also, and probably more so, enjoyed the restoration process. Getting his hands in there. Getting them dirty, if you will. Trying to restore that which life had kind of torn apart. It was rusty. Poultry was torn. There's so many things that life had done to this car. What life does. Then God steps in and does what only God can do. And he restores us and he adds worth to us now. More more worth than what now we would have than what we did before. Because that's the cost of redemption. God has redeemed us, church. Yet as we talked about last week, such a high percentage of even Christians who don't drink of the second cup. And we have to understand that cups come in order. And if you don't drink of the second cup, then you don't really fully understand or drink of the third cup. If, if we don't get to the point where we ask God to take the Egypt out of us, then we don't fully appreciate and understand what it means to be redeemed. That's why I love our tradition so much in our church, our, 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 our teaching of, of not just salvation, but of sanctification, the work that God continues to do in and through us after we are saved, because that's going to make more sense as we dig a little bit deeper today, because the sal- salvation doesn't just stop there. That's not the, what God Jesus does. Yes, he died on the cross to save our sins, but that's not it. it. There's a much bigger picture for us to understand. When we just stop at the salvation, we miss out on the rest. And the promises of God fail to see completion in our lives because we've stopped short. But I pray this Easter season we'll be willing to look at all four cups and recognize that they all have a place in our lives and I need to keep growing so that I understand, so that I appreciate, so that I can worship God fully for all that he's done for me and for you. God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. There's a second part to that verse that's sometimes uncomfortable. And mighty acts of judgment. Oh, we don't like that part, do we? But the judgment's necessary. The discipline is needed to help guide us and direct us. It's to help us to follow after him and to stay on the path that he has for us. Because the whole reason that we need redeemed is because we haven't followed after him the way that he's wanted us to. The whole reason that we get lost is because we want to do things our own way. The whole reason that we need a savior to come for us is because we haven't let him take the Egypt out of us and we long to go back to those days of slavery. There's acts of judgment they're meant to help us, to kind of keep us heading in the direction he wants us to go. Discipline helps us to become a disciple. It's not simply, in our understanding of it, as punishment. Instead, it's kind of the guardrails that he gives to us, keep us on the right path following after him. This outstretched arm that we see God using through Jesus Christ the same arms that he uses to embrace us when we choose to draw close to him. So why do so few, though, drink of this cup? I wish there was an easy answer to that. It seems logical to me that we would want to. Yet for so many, we, if we fight this Invitation, and we avoid this promise until life maybe doesn't go the way we want to, until we get desperate. This outstretched arm, it, it also implies that God, as he's reaching for us, uh, we are far from him certain times in our life. And we, we read in Scripture of, of the miry clay, perhaps we're stuck at a certain place in life. Several years ago, my family and I went on vacation, and we went down to um, Williamsburg, Virginia, and we really enjoyed that. I don't know if the kids really liked it as much as mom and dad did, but we had a good time. There's a place in Williamsburg, Virginia, that they show you how to how uh, in the colonial days they made bricks. And you walk down to this clay field, and then, and you they take they have you take off your shoes, and you, you kind of get to go around, and you get to muck in the mud, and and it was real clay. And if if you're not careful, you would get stuck. And, and I'm, a few times my kids did get stuck, and. And the, the, the volunteers aren't coming in to help you. You have to kind of help your own kids if you've ventured out there. And you have to go in and you have to kind of help them out of the clay. And as you pick them up, there's this big <laughs> sucking sound. It's because it's holding on to them. 
And, and when we get lost, when, when we venture too far from God, we, we get stuck. And the only way out is for God to come in and with his outstretched arm, grab a hold of us and lift us up out of the miry clay. I wonder how many shoes are lost inside that clay because if you go in with them on, you're not coming in with them any longer. That's what the world does. It just grabs a hold and holds on tight. And God, though, with his outstretched arm, reaches down in this act of redemption and he lifts us up from that which grabs a hold out of that which, which we were stuck that we could experience restoration and be redeemed in a relationship with him. But I think many of us, we look in the mirror and we see ourselves as broken, low, lost, and undeserving. And, and we can't get to the point where we forgive ourselves, so we, we don't let God forgive us either. And it's this idea of inferiority, uh, we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us, and as we read last week in Scripture, we, we were wretched and we're pitiful, we're hopeless and we're weak. So we just, we just, we're just okay with that. Well, I, I'm not worth saving and I'm not worth the blood of Jesus. I'm not worth anybody's time. We don't fight this battle. We don't drink the cup because, well, either we're too proud or we're, we think we're strong to do it on our own. Or we just don't want others to recognize weakness in us. We, don't just, we just don't acknowledge it. Psalm 18, verse 35, David writes, You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. <laughs> There's a lot of implications in this simple verse. That God's up here, and I'm down here, and I am stuck, and I, I'm a mess, and I'm lost, but you give me victory. Your, your right hand sustains me. You, you, you stoop down. God stoops down into the mud and lifts us up. That's the only time we have victory, when God is engaged with us in the midst of our being separated from him. You might look at yourself and just think that I, I'm, I'm not usable by God. I, I, he can't work through me. He can't do anything through me. In my life, it was a stutter. In, in your life, it just you might, you might not be someone who likes to be out in public, or you may not like you might think you have the expectation or the skills needed to be a teacher, or or to be your, your story might not matter, and your testimony isn't as significant as somebody else you might see. But everybody's story matters. We all have weaknesses that we struggle with. We all have doubts that God has to help us overcome. That God sees in us what we can't see ourselves. Sometimes we view ourselves in a the frame of our the shame of our past and while we love john 3 16 we forget often what john 3 17 says jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him this cup of salvation and then then, then this cup of deliverance is followed by this cup of redemption he knows us through and through he sees us he did not come to condemn us he is reaching out his hands to redeem and restore us why would he do that? Because he's our creator. And he knows for what we've been created. For the purpose that he had in mind when he made us. And for all of creation to make sense or to be fulfilled, then we also have to be restored to the purpose for which we've been created. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is the New Living Translation. says, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has this plan for us. We're we are each uh, made by our creator. We are a masterpiece. Billy Huddleston, an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene, wrote a book entitled just that, Masterpiece, not too long ago. And then he says this, The master artist came to restore you, to heal, to make whole to breathe fresh paint into your weary soul. When you become a genuine Christ follower, something shifts. Beginning deep within your soul, it becomes all about him. He's your reason for living. He's your heartbeat. 
the blood flowing through your veins, the marrow in your bones. He's not simply an important part of your life. He becomes your life. The created desiring the creator. The canvas reflecting the image of the artist. I love those last two sentences. Created desiring to please the creator. The canvas reflecting the image of the artist. Each of us are a piece of the master. You're not a slave. Slavery is not in you. You are redeemed. God sees something inside of you. Today, he wants you to see what he sees. This idea of of needing redemption. Not only do we feel in fear, but the second reason sometimes that we don't drink of this cup is this idea of diversion. See, Satan offers an alternative cup. Just as Jesus offers us cup. And as, as we celebrate the, the Passover and communion, Satan also offers us a cup. He, he's the author of diversion. He's the author of separation. Anything that gets us off of or distracts us from God comes from him. Sometimes it's hurt or it's grief or it's wounds. Sometimes it's good things. Those things intended for blessing that he uses to take the wrong place in our lives where they become a distraction. They all lead to separation. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, Paul writes. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. This word blocked that we read in in the New Living Translation is a Greek word, egkopto. And egkopto means to cut into or to impede one's course by cutting off his way. While Satan can't touch you, he certainly can touch the path that you're on. And he does that in so many of our lives. He gets in the way. He distracts us. He diverts us away from who it is God wants us to be. When you come against that detour or or against that thing that maybe we weren't expecting or, or that time in life that's a little frustrating or doesn't go the way that you thought it would or the way that you'd planned, we tend to get frustrated. We get distracted. We get diverted. We wander. Perhaps we get stuck. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Who are called according to his purpose for them. This is the part of salvation we often miss. We're not saved by works. Don't misunderstand me. But we are saved for a purpose. We're restored and redeemed to the purpose for which we were created. And God created us with this idea in mind. God had this plan, and he wants us to fulfill the plan, not only for our own sake, but for for the sake of his creation. We were called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 11, verse 29, is out of the message. God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. Never canceled, never rescinded. The King James Version of this same verse, the call of God is without repentance. Now that might be a troubling idea to read that, but here's what it means, is God never changes his mind about you. He doesn't wake up one day and go, oh, they have messed up one too many times, I'm just going to forget about them, and I'm going to go buy the newest version somewhere else, I'm going to create another one. That's not what God does. He never changes his mind about you. When I received my call to ministry, it was in the spring of 1996, long story short, said no. said no. I, I, I'm getting ready to graduate, God, from my sixth year of college. I crammed my four-year degree in the six years. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm that good. I was getting married. I said no. That doesn't fit my plan. I began to negotiate with God and bargain with him, told him what other things that we would do instead, and we tried that for a while, and God was still faithful and good to us, even when perhaps we weren't in the middle of his will. But there was only so long you could go, you could continue down that path. Eventually, you, you get to the point where even though things are going well, you're still kind of miserable. And we had to come back to this place of surrender, of getting back to his purpose for us, the reason for which we were redeemed. Because God doesn't change his mind about us. God has a plan for you. We begin to discover 
when we begin to discover his plan, that's when we drink of the third cup. That's when this cup becomes so real to us, we desire it. When, when we partake in communion, it, it's a, we, we want not just salvation, but we want God's plan for our lives to be fulfilled. This cup of redemption is, is, is seen in its fullness when we discover our spiritual gifts. And that's a whole other long conversation. We, we don't have really have the time to get into it in great depth today, but I want to talk just a few quick points about our spiritual gifts, about the callings and the purpose and, and the plans that God has for you. It's just coming to church on Sunday and singing songs and feeling good about having God in your life, and that's all there is to it, and Monday through Saturday don't make a difference, or the difference doesn't show up, then there's something missing, church. There's something missing. And, and that should concern us, that should burden our hearts. We shouldn't be satisfied. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. This word grace we've talked about before, chara, chara the, the joy that comes from grace. In the midst of this word, uh, we find thank, thankfulness. It's a grace gift. God enables, God empowers. He gives us opportunity. He gives us desires. Your desire might be music. It might be children. It might be teenagers. It might be serving. It might be feeding. What is it that you desire? What is it that make, What are you passionate about? God did that. God put that there in your life. And how can God use that passion that he put there for his glory and for the growing of his kingdom? Sometimes we don't get to the second question. We like the idea of being passionate, but we use the passions for ourselves and we fail to realize that he's the one who instilled it in us to begin with. Why do we never get to this, sec this third cup, this second cup? Because we don't recognize who it is that's created us. We fail to ask the questions of why. What does he want to do through us? We settle. All the while, God has better for us. It's so much more than just attending church or giving to church or just being a part of a church. The fulfillment we're going to talk about is really going to become real to us next week. But we're never going to get there without this third We have to be intentional about discovering our gift, uh, of seeking it out. You may not know what it is yet. Maybe you've got to dig a little bit. Maybe you need to ask some questions. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Maybe your gift is a little complex and you're still figuring that out. This is just uh, his workmanship. This is just a marvelous example of what is it the master has done in us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. In him you were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Whether it's your career or education or your family, everything in life that you have is in him. When we recognize that, when we start to pursue that, then he begins to put the picture together in a way that finally might start to make sense to us. The same verse in the message, I love this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything everyone what's your gift what's the purpose for which our creator has restored you why has he bought you back yes he loves us but when you were created with this idea this twinkle in his eye this idea that he had his thought the, the thing that you could do that only you could do for the people you get to interact with and live life with, only you can do what it is God's created you to do. Have you been distracted? You feel inferior? That's just Satan. He can keep you there. He's got you right where he wants you. He's got you stuck in the mud and the clay. But God's word tells us, and the empty tomb tells us, that we've been redeemed. That we have, have a creator 
who, who, who stepped down, stooped down to us when we needed him most and offers us salvation. He offers us cleansing from the inside out. And he offers us purpose. We have to choose to drink the cup that he puts before us. Many ways what we've talked about today, it's, it, it, it's practical. But let's not miss the spiritual. Go back to where we started in 2 Peter chapter 1. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. We are called, church, to participate in the divine, to walk with him. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, all of his word begins to, to make sense when we understand it in its fullness. When we understand the fullness of his promises. Now we can read scripture and it begins to like, oh, I see where that applies. I see why that makes sense. I see now what he's trying to do. When we miss out on some of the promises, there's parts of it that maybe aren't as attractive to us. Maybe they don't mean for us or to us what they're intended to. But God, in his grace and his patience, why he's so patient with, with me, I don't always understand, but I'm glad that he is. Still thinks I'm worth a coupon or two. Still thinks I'm worth redeeming. Still thinks that there's something to be had for restoring. That's true for each one of us here today. You've been repurchased by the blood of the Lamb for the one which you've been created. Maybe that's where you start. Maybe the, the, the idea of gifts, that comes later. But it has to begin with this idea of knowing that with God's outstretched arms through the, Son, through the Son, Jesus Christ, come back and step back into your life to redeem. So what cup is before you this morning? What cup are you faced with? I invite you to stand with me and as, as we build towards Easter, this, this process we find ourselves in, be it the first cup or the second cup or now the third cup, what cup is before you today? What is it that God is trying to communicate? What promise is he trying to share with you? Let's not miss it. Let's not dismiss it. Let's be open and receptive to what it is that God has for us. Father, I know we've probably each had a moment where we've looked in the mirror and thought, why me? What do I have to offer? I can't do that. You, you've got to be, it must be some mistake, God. You can't ask me to do that. You, you surely want someone else who's more qualified, who, who's better at that type of thing. But Lord, it, what we fail to often realize is when we think like that, then we're going into it with this idea of whether our own talents or abilities will do what it is you want us to do. But Lord, that takes the glory away from you. You started this plan at creation. Then you created man. Part of creation, yes. But to be a blessing in the midst of creation. Where do we fit, Lord? What's our purpose? Why us? For those, Lord, who feel like they're not redeemable, oh, God, help them today to know how loved they are to see the purpose that they have in you, to see themselves the way that you see them. For the one father this morning who's been distracted, who's allowed uh, the, the, the work of Satan in their lives, the, the cups of distraction, diversion that he's offered to them, they've partaken of that because honestly sometimes it's easier. It doesn't cost as much. Perhaps that points us back to this idea of the second cup, the Egypt still in us. I pray, Lord, that we'd recognize the good news that we see in this promise, that we find this idea that you desire to buy us back.
We're not the last one picked to be part of the team. We're not left there wondering uh, why nobody else wants us. Lord, we don't have to wonder. You've chosen us. You've created us on purpose, for a purpose, for your glory. Pray that that good news today, Lord, won't be lost on us. Lord, we'd receive it and that we'd be restored in the relationship with you, Lord, and we would find this new source of hope and recognize this gift of redemption and what it truly means and implies for each of us. Maybe we feel like we're a little rusty, our engines have blown, or maybe we just can't get out of first gear, but in steps master artist begins to rebuild us sometimes you got to take us apart to get there add some new paint and new upholstery shines up the chrome a little bit god and all of a sudden we find ourselves better than we were before but only through your touch only through your working Father, I pray today as we finish that, Lord, we would just grab hold of this idea of we're the created, desiring to please our creator. And may the image of us on your canvas, Lord, be a reflection of you. Father, we love you today. Thank you, Father this cup of redemption, this cup of restoration. May it truly make a difference in our lives this week as we seek to fulfill your plan and purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're a people of promise. Go this week and share that promise with someone else. Maybe invite them to come with you. Save a seat. Come early. Look forward to worshiping you next week. God bless. Today. Amen.